in Jesus' name. whether you're in person or online. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Ryan. Is the mic working? I can't tell. I think it's on. We're good? Okay, cool. Um, well, for those of you that haven't met me yet or have don't know who I am, my name's Ryan. I am one of the pastors here, and I am so grateful to be with you this morning. I'm excited about what God's doing at our church. Uh, a lot of you aren't aware of this, but there were 90-plus children in here last night covered in nacho cheese, shooting each other with Nerf darts. It was... Oh! And now there's one child in the room this morning. Um, no, but we, we're so blessed to have Pastor Michelle. Super thankful for all that she did to put that together. And all of you that stayed late, to make this place look like church again um, was really awesome. And man, what our worship team is crushing it. Donovan, thank you so much. And then I don't know about you, but my heart is so blessed to hear a faithful sister in Christ read a passage of scripture that pretty much preaches itself. So worst case scenario, you guys got something out of that. Um, hey, before we jump into our message this morning, let me recap where we've been and also where we're headed, and then we'll get into the specifics of the message. We've been in a series that we've called All In at the beginning of the year. It's really about stewardship. It's about asking ourselves, um, are we really all in in different areas of our life when it comes to our relationship with Jesus? And this week's actually going to be the last message of that series. We've asked ourselves, are we all in with our finances? Are we all in with our physical bodies? Are we all in with our souls? We talked about forgiveness, and, and are we holding on to bitterness or anger or fear or grudges? And we talked about, last week, authentic biblical community. Are we all in with our relationships with one another? Um, and today we're going to end by asking ourselves, are we all in with our neighbors? Are we all in when it comes to sharing our, uh, our faith in Jesus with those that are around us? And that's going to wrap up this series and then you have a sheet of paper somewhere near you, a packet of paper on your sheets. This is for the next series that we are starting next week. Um, so just some housekeeping. I want you to take this home. Don't do it now because then you'll be distracted. You won't listen to anything I said. Um, take this home and do it sometime throughout the week. We'll also be sending instructions online this week as well. But our next series... Um, is going to be going over these, these spiritual types, the spiritual personality type almost. It's almost like a personality um, exam, but for your spiritual life. How do you naturally connect with God? I'm really excited about this series. It is going to be strange. I'm just going to be honest with you. Honesty is good. It's going to be strange. It's going gonna, it's gonna to push a lot of us out of our comfort zone. It's probably going to push me out of my comfort zone. Because what happens is... Uh, we, we tend to connect with God one or maybe two ways, and we think that that's how everybody should connect with God. But God is, like, much bigger than that, and God uses all kinds of different ways to connect with us. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to examine these six ways that we connect with God as individuals. And you're going to be really pumped on the Sunday that we do the way that you connect with God. So one out of six Sundays you're going to love. And the other ones, you're going to be like, this is weird. I don't like it. 
And it's going to be great because what, what's going to happen, hopefully, is we're going to learn that we're going we're gonna to be able to connect with God when we step out of our comfort zone and, and, and try some things. But the thing that I'm most excited about this series is last week I talked a lot about echo chambers. And what tends to happen is we tend to just hang out with people that connect with God the same way that we connect with God. And then we, we tend to get judgmental about people that connect with God in different ways than we connect with God. And so I hope, I hope that this series helps us to understand better our brothers and sisters in Christ that might fall in different denominational streams than we do because they connect with God a little bit different. And that we here at Canvas Community Church will be a church that pushes past some of that, that we're able to have unity in the midst of a diverse culture of different theological backgrounds. Does that sound like fun and terrifying all at the same time? All right, so take that sheet home, fill it out, and, and it won't make sense to you until next week. Matt's going to make it all make sense for us next week. Got it? Cool. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that I have to share your word this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place, that you would, that you would speak through your word to us, that we would hear exactly what you want us to hear this morning, Peter preached the first New Testament sermon, and it was translated into the dialects of everyone in the room. We all speak the same language this morning, God, but I pray that this message would be translated into the hearts of each individual in the room, that they would hear exactly what you want them to hear and nothing else. For your glory and for our good, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, but you, to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm assuming that this concept, this idea, when you found out that we we're going to be talking about personal evangelism, about sharing the gospel with our friends or family members, that maybe you already started to get a bit uneasy. Maybe you're already formulating an argument in the back of your mind for why this message is for somebody else and not for you. And I, I get it. I get it. I can't tell you the amount of times that I have met new people, struck up a good conversation with somebody at the golf course or somebody at the cigar shop or at the grocery store, you meet people, right? And you, you get these good conversations going. And then the dreaded question for me sometimes comes out. You know what it's coming? Somebody's like, hey, so what do you do for a living? And it's a dreaded question because it really, for me, there's, there's a 50-50 chance of how it goes, right? Like, yeah, I'm a pastor. And like, oftentimes it's like, Oh, no way, that's awesome. Like, great, you're, you're close to God, cool. A lot of times it's like, oh. Can we, how can I get out of this conversation as quickly as possible, right? And most of us have probably had encounters like this with our friends or coworkers or random strangers that we meet in the neighborhood. And, and the, the conversation turns to our faith and things can get a little bit uncomfortable at times. And, and it, it's just the reality that we have opposition in our culture when it comes to sharing our faith. There's spiritual opposition. We have an enemy. Satan does not want people to know about Jesus. He wants to keep them in their brokenness and in their lostness. He wants them to feel content where they are apart from Jesus. We have a spiritual opposition. 
We have cultural opposition. Um, our culture is increasingly becoming more and more postmodern, which means essentially we're moving from evidence-based truth to experience-based truth. And so what, what we all could use, we all used to be able to kind of get together on some things and say, yes, this is objective truth, but now that's no longer the case. It's like, well, that might be true for you. That might work out for you, but it doesn't work for me. And so it's hard to, to share a message of Jesus, that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's hard to share that kind of a message in a culture where people are like, yeah, maybe he's your way, and he's your truth, and he's your life, but that's not going to work for me. And we live in an increasingly post-Christian culture. America used to be a predominantly Christian nation, and it was kind of just okay for us to talk about faith in Jesus in the public square. But increasingly, it's becoming more and more hostile. So we've got spiritual opposition, we've got cultural opposition, and most of us have some personal opposition as well. Fear of how we might be received. Fear that we don't have the right information or know all the answers to the questions that they might ask us. And not only that, but for those of you that grew up in the church, you've probably got some fear around the models that were pushed on you. You're like, okay, Ryan, this is cool, but if you ask me to knock on doors or, like, drag across through the downtown walking mall, I'm out, right? And so this is kind of my background. This is the culture that I came out of. And so I get it. I get the hesitancy. I get the, I, I myself have made many excuses in messages like this for why I'm not going to do the thing that they're asking me to do because it's not going to work or it's uncomfortable. And with all of that opposition, the natural thing for us to do is to outsource this type of thing to experts and extroverts. So you guys are like, hey, I'll bring my friends to church, Ryan, you tell them about Jesus. Um, or, or, I'm introverted and I'm uncomfortable with conversations, but like my friends will tell other people about Jesus. Or there's like this, there's a spiritual gift. You guys have heard of the spiritual gift of evangelism and nobody has it, but everybody's like, well, somebody else has it, right? We make excuses. We have spiritual opposition, cultural opposition, personal opposition. And yet with all of that in the backdrop, Jesus tells us this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. This is not a command primarily given to church leaders or to uber extroverts, but it's given to each one of us who have bowed our knees to Jesus, who have submitted our life to the lordship and leadership of Jesus. If we've experienced the unconditional love and forgiveness of Jesus, it is our responsibility. We have the privilege and the opportunity to be the witnesses to the people that are in our life. But I get the tension. So how do we do this in a thoughtful and engaging way in the midst of all of this opposition? How can we learn to share Jesus in a way that doesn't come across as crazy, unloving, guilt-driven, outdated, or irrelevant? How can we tell people about Jesus in a compelling way? What better way than to look at a story where Jesus was telling somebody about himself, right? So we're going to go to John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be bouncing around in John chapter 4. I had Naomi share, read the entire passage, because we don't have time to read the entire passage. I'm just going to pull out some points. So hopefully you guys got the context, the backdrop of this conversation that Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman. Um, but let's start here in, in verse 4. John chapter 4, verse 4 says, He, Jesus 
had to go through Samaria on the way. You're like, this is going to be a short sermon if you're going to stop and talk about every single point. But here we go. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Here's my first kind of theological drawing out point. No, he didn't. (laughs) He didn't have to go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, most Jewish men in that culture, in that day and age, would go out of their way to not go through Samaria. But this text says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. I would argue that this is less of a geographical statement and more of a theological statement. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he knew that he had an appointed, and he's the Messiah, so he's got some advantages on us, but maybe not because the scripture says that it's better that Jesus goes so that we get the Holy Spirit. So anyway, different story for a different day. But Jesus knew that he had an appointed conversation with this woman and that he had an appointed testimony to the people of Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had a heart for this woman and he had a heart for these people. And so if we're going to be a people that are going to share our faith with our neighbors, coworkers, friends, we have to have a heart for them first. We have to see the need that they have for the Messiah that we have experienced. We see this even more in verse 13 and 14. We see Jesus' heart for this woman. After he asks her for some water, he says, Anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, Jesus knows this woman's spiritual condition. He knows she's thirsty. He knows she needs a drink. And he knows that he has the source of living water where she will never have to drink again. You see how desperate she is for this. She says, please, sir, give me this water. I need this water. And so if we're going to be a people that share our faith with our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, we have to start by having compassion for them, seeing their need for Jesus. Jesus knows that living in this culture, in this world, it's like it's like this morning I was at uh, my gym thing. It's not it's a studio, which is really a hipster thing to say, and I don't like that. So, And I don't want you guys to make fun of me. The people that know about it are already making fun of me right now. So anyway. So I'm running on the treadmill, right? And, and like, we're doing sprint intervals. And so I'm in the midst of a sprint. And I grab my water bottle and I take a big old gulp of water. And guess what happens? It feels amazing. I didn't throw up. Nice try. It feels amazing. I'm like, man, fresh water for my soul. But guess what happened? Ten seconds later, I'm like, this is, this is not good. I'm, I might throw up or I might be thirsty forever. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But Jesus uses this beautiful illustration to explain how people who don't have a relationship with him are like they, they get tastes, they get glimpses of the thing that's going to satisfy them. Because creation is good. God has put us in good creation. And apart from God, we can find pleasures of this world that satisfy us for some time. But we know, those of us who have experienced Jesus know that eventually it all runs dry. There's a thirst inside of each and every single one of us that cannot be quenched with anything on this earth. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament 
to explain this text is Ecclesi- or this idea is Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, where Solomon says that God has placed eternity in each one of our hearts. And so each one of your friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors, they have this eternal thirst for a relationship with God. Whether they know it or not, whether they're willing to acknowledge it or not, they have a deep thirst for God. And they can distract themselves, they can find temporary satisfaction, they can find drinks of water that satisfy for time. But a day is coming when whatever it is that they're putting their hope in is going to run dry. It's their wealth, or their success, or their health, or their appearance, or their temporary pleasures, or their sexual fulfillment, or anything else under the sun. It eventually will run dry, and it takes longer for some of us than others of us. Some of you are in this room, and you ran from God for years and years and years and years, and it took a long time for God to make you aware that there was nothing that was going to satisfy you apart from Him. The, the book of Ecclesiastes is actually an experiment by King Solomon, who's David's son, for those of you that know the context. And he did this experiment where he tried to find satisfaction on earth. And he did it better than you or I will ever do it because he had more money, more power, and more resources than you or I will ever have. So my, I used to teach this book to the youth group all the time because I told my teenagers, I would say, I know, I know what your life is. You want to party with your friends, you want to have fun, you want to experiment, you want to try all of the things. And like, it's going to lead to heartache and pain and difficulty. And like, Solomon already tried it. So can I just... Can I just show you that he tried it and you just agreed to, like, not try it? I don't know how many of it it worked for, but that was my goal. <laughs> and so Solomon's kind of progression, it starts with this. Earthly pleasure will satisfy him. And so he parties, he uses his wealth, his finances, he's successful in business, he's successful in his social life, he's successful in his sexual life. You go read it for yourself. I'm not going to give you the context, but the dude tried it, all right? He tried everything. And at the end of all of it, he had fun for a while, but he moved to a place of disappointment and disillusionment, and the book gets really dark really fast. He says, the theme of Ecclesiastes is meaningless. Solomon says, it's all meaningless. It doesn't satisfy. It feels good for a time season, but there's nothing better than to just eat and drink and be happy. Just be as happy as you can. That's his period of disillusionment. But then eventually he gets to a place where eventually he says there has to be something more than what's on this earth. There has to be satisfaction outside of this earth. And so if we're going to be a people that that share our faith in Jesus with our friends, family members, coworkers, people that are close to us but far from God. If we're going to be a people that do this on a regular basis, it starts with us having a heart. People close to us but far from God. It starts with us realizing that eventually the well is going to run dry, but we have a source of living water that leads to eternal life. And what more loving, compassionate, gracious thing can we do than to, to share that truth with others? Not force it down their throats, but to lovingly invite them to experience what we have experienced in Jesus. I saw this in our in a cultural moment recently. You guys familiar with the Demar Hamlin story? Most of us. Bill's player, um, 
in the NFL a, a few weeks ago. He literally died on the field. And they were able to resuscitate him. And there was just like, it was eerie. We were watching it on live television. And, and, and in a culture that's post-modern and post-Christian, everyone stopped and prayed. Why? Because somewhere deep down inside of all of us, we know that there's something further than what we can see or experience or taste, but we're just really good at distracting ourselves from it. And it took that moment where everyone was was exposed to death and loss, where we said, man, we need something else. Are we able to see past the mask that our friends and family members put on? Are we convinced of what Jesus knew to be true? That if they keep running back to the same well, eventually they will be thirsty again. Do we have a heart for people who are close to us but far from God? Are we convinced of their need for Him? And are we willing to be a witness to people around us? I think most of us, including myself, have become complacent at proclaiming the kingdom of God to people around us. We've gotten comfortable with a you do you and let me do me and everything will be fine. Like this Jesus thing works for me, but it might not work for you. And so I don't want to step on your toes or get make things uncomfortable. We need to align our hearts with Jesus. He had to go through Samaria. He had to. Not out of guilt or shame, but out of passion for people. He knew that they needed what he had to offer. If, you, if your experience is anything like mine, I, I can kind of anticipate what you're feeling. Possibly guilt or shame for not doing enough, or maybe also a real hesitancy that I'm going to ask you to do something crazy, and you're already trying to make excuses for how you're not going to do the thing. Right? <laughs> Here's my hope. My hope by the end of this message is that there's no guilt or shame for wishing you would have done more in the past. But that there'd be that you'd be inspired about sharing Jesus in a compelling and accessible way. See the good news of Jesus it doesn't change, and it is the power of God to bring salvation to people. But the gospel doesn't change, but our methodology should change. So I think some of the reason that we don't like doing this very well is because the church and Christians, we haven't updated our methodology in a very long time. We've been kind of doing the same thing the same way without realizing that culture has changed. And Christians, recently at least, it's my experience that we're behind with culture. Like we don't realize where culture's at until it's too late. And so I think we've got to realize that culture is changing, and so the way that we proclaim the message of the kingdom of God should change. The New Testament is full of examples, and specifically Paul, contextualizing the way that he shared the gospel, depending on who was in the room. He understood the people that he was talking to, and he proclaimed the gospel to them differently based on who was in the room. And I think that we're, when we do share the message of Jesus, we're sharing it with outdated methodology. I've got a, a few decades I want to walk through. Tim Keller uh, has a lot of really good information on this. I'm going to send a video to everyone in the newsletter, so if you're not signed up, sign up. That I think will help. But I'm just going to summarize it real quick. In the 50s and 60s, Tim Keller says, 
that everybody had a moral foundation and a respect for the Bible. And so that's why gospel tracts and knocking on doors and revival tent meetings, those things worked because there was already kind of a, a low-level respect and, and an expectation and an understanding of the message of Jesus. And so all people needed to do was be reminded that they're rebelling and be called back to for forgiveness and repentance. But then in the 70s and 80s, this kind of started to go away and, and science started to, to, to make its rise and people became intellectually skeptical about the Bible. They started doubting if Scripture really has any power or, or relevancy in this modern day and age. And so that's when apologetics started to become a big thing. And you had people writing about, you know, the case for Christ and, and explaining exactly how historical and scientific evidence points to the Bible being true. And then as people kind of got out of that phase, then the new thing was, well, church is outdated and boring and doesn't have any impact in my life. And these people sit on pews and they sing monotone hymns and it's boring. And I don't see how it connects to like my Monday at work, which is when you had Rick Warren and those guys being like, okay, well, let's just make church relevant and good. And like, let's bring some contemporary music and some lights and like, let's preach topical messages that connect to people where they're at. And this worked for a while. But now we're in a culture where there's really no moral foundation, no respect for the Bible, no cultural value in church. A lot of you know this. You'd invite your friends to church, but they're not interested. And so you might be the only church that they have. And so how do we do this? How do we share Jesus in a culturally relevant way? Not only do, is that, do I think our methodology is outdated, but I think our message is watered down. This one's gonna. This one's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt you, and it's gonna hurt me. But hopefully, we get through it together. See, I think, at least in the the, the environments that I grew up in, when I was taught to and made guilty to, to, to made to feel guilty to go preach the gospel to my friends, the message that I was told to give was boiled down to the goal of preaching to convince people that they are sinners, separated from God, getting them to feel guilty and pray a prayer that exists nowhere in the Bible. There is no ask Jesus into your heart prayer in the Bible. And I'm not saying that that was a totally bad way of doing it when it was done that way. But what if we've watered down the message? No wonder none of us want to do it. The gospel isn't just about where you go when you die, but the gospel is about abundant life right now. The gospel of Jesus is this, what he shared with this Samaritan woman. I know you're tired. I know you're sick, broken, depressed, addicted, lonely, lost, crippled by fear, without hope. I know you're searching for healing and satisfaction in all kinds of different areas of your life. And I know you're getting tastes of it. You, know, you get things that satisfy you for a moment. But you're just going to be thirsty again. But I, I have water that if you drink, you will never be thirsty again. See, Jesus didn't come just to give hope for the future, although that's part of it. He also came to give us abundant life. Now, Christ's vision for our salvation is what he taught his disciples to pray, that God's will would be done in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, as it is in heaven. Maybe we'd be more excited about sharing the message of Jesus if this was the message of Jesus that we were sharing 
if our models got more culturally relevant and our message had more power, maybe we would share the message of Jesus more often. I don't know about you, but I can sign up for this kind of gospel preaching. And honestly, guys, this message this week was a message for my own heart because I've got so bogged down in the past with bad models and I've allowed myself to buy into this thing where I've just got to convince people that they're guilty and get them to pray this prayer. And it doesn't matter if it affects their life at all today as long as they say these special words in a special order. And I've done it enough times to see people just go along with it so that I'll leave them alone. But it wasn't actually them meeting Jesus. And so no wonder we don't want to do it. We want people to meet Jesus. We just don't want people to like go through this ceremony that doesn't exist in the Bible. This message has been a message to my own heart. And I know what you might be thinking. If the pastor is not doing it, why should I? Well, my hope is that we would both catch a vision this morning for a fresh and compelling way to share the true message of Jesus that isn't just about where you go when you die, but about an abundant life now. About God's will being done in our lives, in our homes, and in our community, and in our church, as it is in heaven. Preparing this message has breathed fresh wind into a sail that I let fall down long, long ago. You and I have been called to be Christ's witnesses to our neighbors, to our family members, our coworkers, and friends, and we can't let outdated methodology or a watered-down message knock us out of the game. So, what's the alternative? What's the solution? I'd summarize it this way. My kind of main point for this whole talk is this, that if we're going to share the gospel in a, in, a, in a methodology that works for our culture and a message that isn't watered down, we're called to live a compelling life and tell a compelling story. Live a compelling life. Tell a compelling story. This is what Jesus does to the Samaritan woman. This is what the early church does. This is what Paul does when he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That message, that verse used to freak me out. I'm like, who does Paul think he is? Follow me. We're supposed to follow Jesus. Don't follow you. Follow Jesus. Or, or then I convince myself, like, well, he's an apostle. He's an apostle, so he can say that, right? No, the more that I think about it, the more I realize that this invitation, this, that statement, is Christian discipleship. We're called to follow Jesus in a compelling way. We're called to be obedient to the teachings of Jesus in such a way that we can look at our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, and we can say, come along. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And maybe we're not doing that because... Deep down in our hearts, we really don't want to follow Jesus as much as we say we do. I think think most of us, we want to, but we make excuses. And the reason we're not sharing our faith with Jesus is because we know our life's not compelling because we've been spending most of our time making excuses. But what if we got real serious about following Jesus, about doing the things that Jesus did, about loving people unconditionally, about stepping into uh, the lives of the poor, the powerless, and the persecuted, about going to our community and serving Jesus. We should be living compelling lives and telling a compelling story. The Samaritan woman, she was so surprised by Jesus. Verse 9, this woman was surprised 
for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritan women. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? This is what it looks like to live a compelling life. Are we living a life that our friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, like, look at us like, that's interesting. Why are you, you're not judging, you're a Christian, you're not judging me. I just told you that I'm sleeping around. Why aren't you judging me? I just told you that I've got a drug problem. Why aren't you condemning me? Aren't you pushing me out of your life? This is what Christians are supposed to do, right? What if we lived a different way? What if we love people the way that Jesus loved people? He, he loved this woman so much he pushed past cultural, religious norms. He didn't care about how his actions might be perceived because he was compelled to have a conversation with this woman about the living water that he had to share. If we want to tell a compelling story, it starts with us living a compelling life. I heard one pastor say it this way. He said, be, be the first Christians that your friends like. <laughs> right? I was like, that's so good. He said, be the first Christian that your friends like. And that doesn't mean we compromise truth. It doesn't mean we try and blend in or fit in and, and be cool. And that's that's my M.O., right? Like, I'm, I'm the pastor that wants to be cool. I'm the one that wants to tell people I'm a pastor, and they're like, no way. <laughs> and it comes from a good heart, but, but we can't water down the message of Jesus. But we love in the midst. We don't expect people who aren't following Jesus to live like they're following Jesus. Daniel was incredible at this. I, I don't have, I'm so far behind my notes. Um, but if you, if you get bored this week, go to the book of Daniel, and there's, Daniel is, is exiled into Babylon. Babylon was a, a culture that was totally opposed to the culture of the Jews, and they were persecuting the Jews, and, and, and Daniel was essentially a slave. He lives his whole life in Babylon, never compromising his faith. And at the end, he's like elevated to like a high governmental position. He's like super old. And they're still reaching out for Daniel for advice, for wisdom, because he just lived a radical life. He lived a compelling life. And that compelling life bought him opportunities to have conversations, to tell people a compelling story. Notice the story that Jesus tells this woman. It's not, it's not unpractical. It's not totally disconnected from her reality. Jesus knows the pain point in this woman's life. He says, go get your husband. This woman's pain point was relationships, right? Like she had gone back to the well of relationships five, now going on six times. He says, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and now you're living with a guy that's not your husband. And, and Jesus isn't doing this to be judgmental or to cast shame or guilt on this woman. He's doing it to show her that she hasn't been able to satisfy the thirst that she has. We need to tell compelling stories that connect to people's actual lives. We need to be good enough friends where we know where people are struggling. We know where people are hurting. And we can off, offer Jesus as the solution to their problem. Because Jesus is the solution to their problem. Every other solution will leave them satisfied for some time, but eventually will dry up. Jesus is the spring of eternal life bubbling up, a, a well that never runs dry. That's a compelling story of grace and forgiveness that Jesus offers. We should live that out and share it with others.
funny. The woman does probably what your friends are going to do when you step out in faith and do this. She, like, lures him into a theological debate. She doesn't want to talk about the actual issue in her life. She's like, yeah, 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 you're right. You must be a prophet. Um, that's cool, but, like, you guys say that we don't worship God right, and she just, like, lures him into this theological debate, but Jesus doesn't take the bait. He engages her in the conversation, and then he offers himself as the solution. Verse 26, he says, I know a Messiah is coming, and he says, I am the Messiah. Notice the woman's response. Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village to tell everyone. She's immediately better at preaching the gospel than you and I already are, and she's not even a follower of Jesus yet. This is the power of a compelling life and a compelling story. Start from your own story. Tell your friends of the times when you were trapped in addiction when your heart was hard, when you were lost and without hope, when you got to the end of all the pleasures of this life and your well was still dried up. And tell them of the way that Jesus met you in your brokenness, in your shame, in your guilt, in your unlove, in your unforgiveness, whatever it was for you. Define that for them. Pull out the tension point that Jesus met you in and tell them how Jesus was the answer to that problem. You don't have to know all the answers to all the questions. You just have to live a compelling life and tell a compelling story. I love how Blaise Pascal puts it. And he's an old, dead, white guy. So, this is not truth that I'm just making up. He says, bring people to a place where they wish Christianity was true, and then show them it's true. This is living a compelling life. This is telling a compelling story. Live in such a way that people wish Christianity was true. And then show them it's true. All right, let's get really practical. Uh, Kelly, you can come on up. I am told you, I'm so far behind. It's okay, it'll work out. Um, first step, if we're going to live a compelling life, tell a compelling story, if we're going to be a people who uh, get serious about sharing our faith with people who are close to us but far from God, is this. Identify and pray. Write down the names of people that are close to you but far from God and begin to pray that God will begin to work in their lives and give you opportunities to share a compelling story. It's not your job to save people. God's in the business of saving people. We partner with Him. We come alongside people that He's already working in their lives. Let's begin to pray for Ask God to, to, to work in people's lives. Be intentional. When you're out and about in the community, I did this the other day. I was just like walking through Martins and praying that God would give me eyes to see and ears to hear what he's doing. Be intentional when you're out and about. Pray that God might put someone in your path that he is drawing to himself. Secondly, live a compelling life. Be a great friend, a great coworker, a family member. Love people unconditionally without strings attached. You yourself draw close to Jesus. Be obedient to him. When you're actually obeying and seeing how much abundant life rocks, then you're more compelled to say, come with me. Let's go do this thing together. Draw close to Jesus. Be conformed into him, to his image. And tell a compelling story. Guys, we, we have to preach the gospel. We have to use words. We have to tell people about Jesus. We can't just hope that they 
all in to Jesus because we're being obedient. Look for good opportunities to tell people what God is doing in your life and invite them to come along. Be a friend. Get to know the struggles in your friends' lives. Ask spiritual questions and offer Jesus as a solution to their struggles. And then lastly, pray again and trust God. You're only responsible for sharing the message. You're not responsible for the results. And so many of us who grew up in the same culture that I grew up in, you felt guilty for not doing it enough or not doing it well enough. Our responsibility is to come alongside what God is already doing. Romans 1.16 says, The gospel is the power of God for salvation, not how good you share it. And here's the deal. God is already doing things in people's lives. And you never know how you might be a part of what God is doing. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says. Paul says, It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. God does it. But the one who plants and the one who waters, we all work together with the same purpose. And both of us will be rewarded for our own hard work. We just look for opportunities. We live a compelling life. We invite people to come along. We share a compelling story. And who knows what God might do with it? And who knows how God might use one little thing that you did in a, in a long line of 15 other things that he did through 15 other people? I got a text uh, January 17th this year from my pastor in Pennsylvania. I think I have a picture to share with you. Yeah, it's right here. This out of the blue. And he said this. He said, hey, bro, tonight I got to lead our friend Nicole to Christ at our dining room table after this after a discovery Bible study. It was really cool to hear her talk about her journey and how a sermon that you preached in 2019 on the first and second Adam was the thing that began to open her eyes to Jesus. You planted. Tons of people have watered in the last four years, and I tonight got to reap the harvest. Super grateful for you. I hope you're encouraged to know yada, yada, yada. That doesn't matter. Here's what matters. That woman's journey started four years ago. I did one little thing. I preached a sermon. I get paid to do that. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, all right? My point is this. You never know how one conversation, one act of kindness in the name of Jesus, one stepping out of faith to, to talk to your friends about what Jesus has done in your life might be used in a long string of things that God is using to bring the growth. Jesus told his followers, the harvest is great. It's just a statement of fact. It's not, it might be great if you do the right things. The harvest is great. Jesus is drawing people to himself. But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. He's not praying for more harvest. The harvest is already great. He's praying for more workers. That means if we go, we can be assured that the harvest will come with us. It is great. There's a great harvest outside these walls. 
in our neighborhoods, workplaces, community parks, family get-togethers, grocery stores, and more. May we partner with what God is already doing. May we be faithful to plant and water and sit back and watch him produce the growth. To be a people who live compelling lives and tell compelling stories. Um, in light of communion this morning, there should be a card somewhere near you. Um, this is something that I put together just just to start to get the wheels turning about what it might look like to share a compelling story from your own life. There's some prompts in there for you to think about. What were the tension points in your life when Jesus draw, drew you to himself? What were the areas where you kept going back to the same well over and over and over again and it wasn't satisfying? Begin to kind of just summarize that story out so that you can internalize it. So that your story, the, the gospel message that you proclaim to your friends, it's compelling. It's not guilt-driven. If you're watching online, obviously you don't have the card. There's an app called God Tools. It's put on by Alpha, and it has a very similar thing on the front screen. I'd love for you to download that and check it out. Um, and if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this message was really mostly not for you. But here's where it is for you. The wells all run dry in the end. You've probably experienced it at one point or another, and maybe you found a new glass, a new colored drink that is, is working for you now, but eventually it's going to run dry too. So I believe God brought me here today to tell you that Jesus is the source of eternal water. That if you submit your life to his lordship and leadership, it doesn't make every bad thing in your life go away. But he sustains you through it. May you consider becoming a follower of Jesus for the first time this morning. And lastly, this is a this is an organizationally driven seed planting. There's a there's a few really great curriculums that are geared towards um, people who don't know Jesus. Starting Point and Alpha are my two favorite. If you have a if you have a burning passion to create space for people to, to come experience, ask their questions, I would love for our church to start one of these. So just I'm just throwing it out there. See what happens. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you more about it. I'm going to give you not very many minutes to start this process. Um, and then I'm going to come up and, and send this out with a blessing. Let's begin to write down names of people that are close to us but far from God. Let's begin to write down our stories and pray for how God might use us to partner in his harvest. I'll be back up to close this out.
follower of Jesus, I just believe in my heart that you have a compelling story to tell. And I know some of us that grew up in the church our whole lives don't feel like this story is that compelling. But it is. Let's be a people that daily are thankful for the story that God is recreating in us and are willing to share it when he gives us the opportunity. Send you out with this blessing from the scriptures. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace, church.